You fought in the Clone Wars? Yes. I was once a Jedi Knight, the same as your father. Since that, one simple sentence, fans have on different levels been obsessed about thinking, what was the Clone Wars? idea of doing a animated TV series was intriguing to me because it really did allow me to broaden the, the, the canvas of what Star Wars is about. Hello and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host Charlotte. Hey everyone, I'm your other host Caitlin and welcome to this week's Clone Wars recap, analysis, discussion, <laughs> All of that episode. good episode. Yeah. <laughs> it's here. We're excited. Uh, Ahsoka. 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 Ahsoka is back. Ahsoka is back. Guys, I when they did the little recap in the beginning of Ahsoka Leaves, I definitely cried. <laughs> me too. Me too. I was like, whoa. <laughs> Low blow bringing me back to that time. <laughs> it's like, I don't know what you expected. But... <laughs> I know. I know. It's just – this is the first, right? We didn't really have a recap like this with the Bad Batch, did we? Not really. I don't no, think, it I was don't more think so. war focus, less character focus. Yeah, and so for them to just dive in with, "Hey, here's all this sadness. Remember TBT?" <laughs> uh, it was a lot, you know, for Friday morning. <laughs> it was. It really was. I. This episode felt like. I don't know. It's so crazy to see Ahsoka again and to pick up where we left off with her, which we even had a whole season where we didn't do that. So Mm -hmm. this is, I don't know how many episodes later since we saw her leave the Jedi Order. It's so crazy to be back in this timeline on Coruscant with Ahsoka. It's so weird. Yeah. In some ways, this felt... This felt so much more different than the Bad Batch. Like when we opened up the Bad Batch episode, it really felt like a homecoming back to this show. And I don't know if it's because we're now on the fifth episode or like this. I feel like this episode just had such a different energy about it that was so removed from the actual war, which we never really got a ton of that during the the original run of the Clone Wars, that it really did feel very different. And Ahsoka is kind of our only grounding point. And I know we've seen the lower levels of Coruscant on and off throughout the years, but to spend so much time here, I don't know, it felt it felt really different. And I enjoyed it, but it felt very different, I think. I agree. I think that this episode for me will take a couple... I think the next episode will solidify how I feel about being in this spot if that makes sense i while i'm so excited to see ahsoka again and i have been looking forward to this episode for probably over a year (laughs) or longer Mm -hmm. um i still feel like i need another episode to get used to it and i'm just not sure i don't know it's weird it's it's very strange like i definitely give this episode an a if i if i could rate it but I, I do feel like I need another episode to understand my footing and my uh, actual true feelings about what it's like to see Ahsoka again, if that makes sense. And I know that's like kind of weird to say and maybe somewhat surprising to hear from me. Yeah, I think it's just like Ahsoka is our only grounding point in this arc right now. 
and she didn't talk a ton about where she had come from or anything like that. And I know we'll get into what she did say, but I don't know. It feels it feels so immediate. I don't know how mm-hmm. to how to explain it. Um, it feels really immediate. And Bad Batch didn't necessarily feel like that because not to say it was more of the same, but it was like this battle, this ongoing war strategy. Like we're very used to that. But seeing Ahsoka like down in the lower levels of Coruscant just trying to get by and being like, I have no money. (laughs) And I'm like, do Jedi get paid? Where did she even get money to buy the – like (laughs) I start thinking all of those things. It was – it is a little bit of fish out of water. But mm-hmm. of course, Ahsoka is gonna figure it out well, you know. But yeah, it was it was strange, and this is a lot of setup that's happening in this episode, and um, yeah, they've got to kind of lay the pieces for the next three. Right, I think it's it's odd too because we've had I don't I can't even do the math in my head about when the last time when Ahsoka left the Jedi Order versus now we've had so many points of Ahsoka story given to us through books and shows like Rebels and like now even her voices in The Rise of Skywalker, all these things. We've had Ahsoka content for years. And to return to this this point in time, like nothing has ever changed because it really does feel like that, which I think it should feel like that, especially as a whole TV series. Um, and if you were to watch from like season one to season seven now, I think it would all really flow well and make sense and everything. But I think that it's weird as the audience to come into it with all this knowledge about where Ahsoka goes and to see her at this point when we've imagined it for so long. That's Star Wars, baby. <laughs> it really is. It really, and that's, that's how Star Wars goes. Like that's yeah. just, I don't know. I think that with Ahsoka though, is the character that you and I are so attached to and have thought about for so long. It, it's it, fish out of water is a good way to describe Ahsoka, but it's also how I feel in this moment. Yeah. <laughs> where yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I want to protect Ahsoka <laughs> as well. <laughs> and I like, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I'm not really making a lot of sense. I just, I'm excited for the next episode to further Ahsoka's journey, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, I feel like it's kind of a little bit of trepidation. Like, even though we know that all the people involved in the show are the ones who created her character, obviously, and we've never been disappointed with her uh, where she's gone in these other pockets, be it in books or the other TV shows. I won't talk about the Rise of Skywalker, but <laughs> um, I'm not disappointed in her role in Rise of Skywalker, the you know two lines she said. Um, but it's almost like, okay, like how is this going to go? This is such a vulnerable time in her life. And there's only four episodes, so there's only so much time that can be covered. There's only so many things that can be quote unquote checked off as far as, you know, like how I really want her to have this, you do too, this like super emotional conversation with Anakin. Like, is that going to happen? She's got to like talk to Maul. She's got to fight Maul. She's got to become Lady Tano. Like Order 66 has to happen. Like there's only so much time in the next couple of episodes. And I think it is a little bit of trepidation of like, okay, how are we going to be spending this time? This character is so important. Every moment has to be significant, but not every moment has to be significant too um, because it's like a slice of her life in a specific time. And uh, with Star Wars, there's always time to go back. So I think it is kind of a weird weird place to be in. Yeah. Yep. It's it's also – it's definitely sinking in that we're almost halfway through the last season of The Clone Wars. (laughs) And I don't mean to start us off on like kind of a sad note, but this is how I am. I get this way in vacations too where I'm like, oh – 
we only have x number of days left when we're really like in the middle of it we have a whole like lifetime of vacation in front of us i (laughs) i feel the same way about the clone wars right now where i'm a little like dabs eyes oh no (laughs) you know we're almost done but we're not almost done at all we still have probably the best of us ahead of it yep (laughs) (laughs) okay so uh we are going to be talking about the actual episode today which is called gone with a trace and it was directed by saul ruiz and kyle dunlevy and it was written by dave filoni and kyle dunlevy and in part one we're gonna have our mystery part in part two we talk about the story and then in part three we talk about the characters so without further ado let's get started so that, of course, was my main focus, is making a Star Wars that George Lucas was proud of, obviously proud enough to want to put it up on the big screen, and we're all thrilled about that. But, uh, you know, hey, fans are passionate, and whether they say for good or for ill about anything, any aspect of it, it's because they love it. You know, they, they, they want it to be good. They want it to, it to, they feel an ownership over Star Wars at this point, and I respect that. I mean, in both directions, you know, I, I respect the good things I've heard, and I respect when fans says, ah, why is it animated? Yeah, okay, I get it, but, you know, give it a chance and check it out, and I think they'll be surprised, because I'm a fan and I like it. Okay, welcome to part one, the mystery part, and this one's going to be a little different. We are going to talk about the fortune cookie. We don't have an old fortune cookie to compare with, but we are going to talk about the fortune cookie that was in this episode, which is, if there is no path before you, create your own. So what did you think about this fortune cookie, Charlotte? Perfect, 100, exactly what I wanted to say. <laughs> 10 for 10, <laughs> recommend. I think that that's like, it completely embodies where I thought Ahsoka, when I saw this, I was like, yep, that makes sense. This is Ahsoka's walkabout journey, her her time alone, her dealing with her feelings. And yes, she's creating her own path. And that is so perfectly Ahsoka. I'm no Jedi. Everything that we know about her can be kind of encapsulated in this one fortune cookie. Yeah, I agree. This is this kind of, I think, uh, summarizes part of why I love Ahsoka as a character so much and why the end of her season five arc is so important, I think, to see someone actively step away, like to take the risk that she did in stepping away from the Jedi Order, I think is just it's so monumental. What other if we knew more about the last 20, we would know how many other people had done something similar to this, but we don't. <laughs> Ahsoka is the only one we've seen take a step like this. I'm sure someone's going to at me and be like, oh, you're forgetting so-and-so. And you know what? You're right. I am forgetting so-and-so. But <laughs> Ahsoka, Ahsoka's, I think, stands out given uh, number one, what I remember, and number two, <laughs> um, just like her place as a Padawan and in this like really tumultuous time, not having a family to go back to, not knowing a family or place to go back to and just kind of staking it out on her own, I think is is so brave. And I think this fortune cookie really a bit cliche, but aren't all fortune cookies <laughs> <And> <laughs> really kind of summed it up. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about the title, which I think is, it's odd. It doesn't necessarily roll off the tongue because it's not necessarily the most common phrase. The title's called Gone with a Trace. And it's a little bit of a pun because Trace is a name of a character that we're introduced here. And Caitlin, what did you think about this? I thought that I had, I did a bit of a double take with the title. At first, I was just like, oh, Gone with a Trace. I'm like, oh, the character is named Trace. Okay. And then you think about it and you're like, oh, well, the phrase is usually gone without a trace and vanished without a trace. That's usually what we hear. And this like fun little definition from Collins Dictionary or just 
you know, kind of summarizing the phrase, um, if you say that someone or something disappears without a trace, you mean that they stop existing or stop being successful very suddenly or completely. One day he left, disappeared without a trace. And I think it's really interesting for Ahsoka because I don't think we know exactly how much time has passed between when she left the Jedi Order and when we're seeing her now and what other things she's kind of done in the middle or if this, like, she got a new outfit, she got a bike, like, at least a couple days have passed, if not a little bit more, presumably, given what we know is going on in season six and what we've seen already with season seven. But the idea that she's gone with a trace, she's gone with trace, she's now with trace, the character, or the fact that she's gone with a trace and that she's still, like, people are still looking for her and she can be found. She hasn't vanished. Um, because there, there's the line in the in the episode where Trace says, are you running, like, what's, what's your hurry? Are you running from something? And I thought it was a really interesting line because it made me wonder, what is she running from? No one's, the Jedi, we've got no indication that the Jedi are chasing her or that mm-hmm. other people are chasing her. So what, is, is she trying to be gone without a Trace? Does she want someone to find her? I, I think it's a really interesting title. I agree. And I think a lot of thought went into it, um, especially these, you know, triple meanings, maybe. Yeah, I, I'm i curious to see if this comes up later on. I Is there something trackable about Ahsoka? Is there someone tracking her? It's the fact that she's gone literally so low into the lower levels of Coruscant. But she's, I don't know, we'll talk about this more in like what she's what what her end game here is because I don't really think we got a lot of detail into that. Um, she has a speeder bike, but like, where is she trying to go? What is she trying to do? How is she making money? Where did she purchase her fabulous jumpsuit? These are all things, outlying questions that need to be answered. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's, it's just to say, I think that it is likely that Ahsoka has made a lot of enemies in her time as a Jedi. And as this episode has established, the Jedi aren't necessarily liked down in the lower levels. And yeah. I think that for that, there's not necessarily a target on her back, but she has to keep a lot of things concealed. Yeah, exactly. You know, if she, like I said, if she is trackable or if someone recognizes her, presumably it'll come out to Trace and Rafa that she was a Jedi at some yeah. point. So I wonder if Ahsoka will be the one to give that information up or if it will be given for her. Exactly. And I think that if you have, if you are listening to this and recently watched the Ahsoka Leaves arc, you know, there were wanted posters everywhere for Ahsoka's face. Ahsoka's face was everywhere. So it's not like she is necessarily unknown. People know who she is. She is the Jedi. I think that even when she was lurking in the lower levels, her face was plastered all over the billboards and everything. So um, she is known in a way. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, that's a good point. But again, how much time has passed? I don't know. And the, the the show doesn't really give us a lot to work with there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Clone Wars has never given us like a like a calendar <laughs> about how much time has passed. But I do – like I think that's a really good point about her. her. I'd forgotten that they had all of these billboards with her face on it. So if she went into hiding for a bit for things to die down and then came back out or yeah. if it's been, you know, a week or something. Right. I would assume that her trial – 
was perhaps pretty public, given the fact that there was even, you know, demonstrators outside of the Jedi Temple. It, it seemed like it was something yeah. that was being broadcast and it would be gossipy. You know, <laughs> I could see that being something that was talked about throughout Coruscant. Yeah, I. it's actually kind of surprising that Trace didn't say anything about that in her spiel on the Jedi, even even if she was someone who was kind of passively interested in the news of like, oh, the Jedi, they weren't who I thought I were. they were. I mean, you know, just the other day, they had some Jedi on trial for betraying the Republic. Can you believe that? And even though she doesn't actually know, like she wasn't actually paying attention because she doesn't have time. Like time is money, as she says. She doesn't have time mm-hmm. to pay attention, but she knows that the Jedi did something bad. Um, right. And it was actually Ahsoka. Oh, I should have included that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So I think the title is really interesting. I'm excited to reflect on it after we get the next, the rest of the arc to see if and how it does tie back in. Absolutely. One of the interesting things about this episode is some of the voice actors that we had in it. Of course, we had Ashley Eckstein coming back to play Ahsoka, and man, loved seeing her back. Obviously, but yeah. What- <laughs> totally. Charlotte, obviously. <laughs> but what was really fun is that we had Bobby Moynihan back in this episode which was such a treat and if you guys haven't watched resistance bobby moynihan is one of the voice actors in resistance and does such a fantastic job and when we saw him at the resistance panel at celebration he was such a treat i loved him so much and when we saw him briefly the pizza place at celebration (laughs) with donald face luminati's Luminati's. it was also really great (laughs) he is such a fun person because he loves Star Wars so much. And I mean, it's great whenever actors love Star Wars and want to be involved, but specifically, it's great when actors who are obsessed with Star Wars love Star Wars animation and love it before they were involved in it. So it's always a great payoff when people like Bonnie Moyn- Bobby Moynihan um, are included because I know that they had supported Star Wars animation for years and years before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And in this episode, he played Pintu, uh, whose name is Pintu San L is his full name, but Pintu the I guess gangster or whoever Rafa owes money to, which I I like Pintu a lot. I liked his design. His design felt like something that originated in Resistance, but yeah. I I really liked. I didn't I didn't recognize his voice either. And oh my god, I totally in, did. That's funny I that didn't, you didn't. I didn't until I saw the credits. Um, maybe it's because I was still crying about Ahsoka. Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the uh, the credits rolling, I was like, oh my God, Bobby Moynihan, congrats. <laughs> Glad to have you here. Yeah. Um, it was cool to see Elizabeth Rodriguez play Rafa Martez. And Elizabeth Rodriguez was, uh, I don't know, she was the, the mother Diaz in Orange is the New Black. And I guess she was in, I haven't watched Walking Dead, but she was in Fear of the Walking Dead and Shameless and a couple of episodes of Law and Order SVU. Um, like everyone. <laughs> but I feel like it was I, I recognized her voice there too. If anyone else is a big Orange is the New Black fan. Um, I feel like that was really the OG streaming service show that everyone first got obsessed with. It's like weird to reflect on that. Yeah. But yeah. I really liked her character and she has a really recognizable voice and I heard it here too. And it's I don't know. I like this um the characters are kind of similar too, if you're if you're familiar with that. Obviously, I think this is a G-rated version of Diaz, but yeah, it was 
yeah, a bit, but it was it was cool. It was cool. Yeah, it was funny. I I remember watching Orange is the New Black, but I I didn't complete the series, but I knew I had heard her voice somewhere. And mm-hmm. then when I looked her up, I was like, oh, wow, she's been in a ton of stuff. And seeing her on Law & Order SVU is one of Charlotte's favorite shows. So I was like, wow. <laughs> Along with or- and Law, Law & Order SVU, it's like, funny because – Got it. <laughs> yeah, those are the two shows that, like, not everyone watches every single episode, but I have. <laughs> so... <laughs> Like, I really don't know a lot of people who started Orange is the New Black and finished it to the last episode. Um, I think that it had some highs and lows in that series. I'm not standing by it. It, it was entertaining, though. And Law & Order SVU, it's still chugging along, and I still watch it every week. <laughs> I love that show. You record it. <laughs> I don't record it. I watch it on Hulu. Ah, uh, yeah. It's very good. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I was in Boston last year. I don't. I don't know why we were just, like, at home. I think we were, like waiting to go get dinner or something and you're like um you want to watch the new episode of law and order (laughs) 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 but i remember um i remember too sorry to be on like a law and order train but i remember um when i would go to your house in massachusetts in the summertime there was like one summer that i was there and it rained like the entire time i was there and we binge watched so much law and order svu (laughs) It's so good. We, it's like, a show could, that you can watch all the time. Yeah, because we couldn't go on the beach or anything. I think that was like the summer of Wii too. So we played Wii and we watched Law & Order SVU for like two weeks straight. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. Was- I I feel like not to this is not a Law & Order SVU soapbox podcast, <laughs> but if I could get on my soapbox for a sec, I feel like Law & Order really introduced me to the importance of fighting for women's health and being aware of that. And I, I don't know, I was... I watched that show when I was like eight until now. Um, I don't know. And I I really, really love Mariska Hargitay and everything that she does. I've seen her speak a couple times. And um, I love Law & Order SVU. And I hope that someone that's listening can relate to me on that. <laughs> I think a lot of people can really. There's a reason yeah. it goes, it's gone on for so long. Also, Adam Driver is in a couple episodes. It was some of his first um, acting. And I know we have a lot of Adam Driver fans who listen. And not <laughs> not saying his role in that was great because it really was not, as most people who play uh, parts on Law & Order SVU, they're usually the, you know, the culprit, the perpetrator, <laughs> the, the not the great character. And Adam Driver, certainly in the two episodes he was in, certainly wasn't, you know, the best person, but always great to see adam you know okay we've spent way too long talking about law and order svu we really have let's move on talking about ahsoka dun, dun, dun. <laughs> okay. okay and then of course the last new voice actor that we had in this episode was bridget Kali kaylee bridget kaylee who played trace martez and she this is i didn't find a lot about her on imdb it seems like she's done a lot more like spanish-speaking roles like in Latin America or in Spain, I wasn't really sure, but it was exciting to see her here. And I loved both her and Rafa, and I'm excited to get to know them more. Definitely. I am too. I really liked these characters, and I'm excited to talk about them in the next two parts. Mm -hmm. Let's move on to talking about the story. So if you're a captain and I'm a Jedi, then technically I outrank you, right? In my book, experience outranks everything. Well, if experience outranks everything, I guess I better start getting some. Okay, so welcome to part two where we talk about the story. So, Caitlin, where does this episode begin and where do we end? 
So everything in this episode takes place in the lower levels of Coruscant, level 1313, or maybe even further down below. And one, I really liked the setting down here. It looks fantastic. I The details in Coruscant are amazing. I just really liked getting to see this uh, place in kind of new detail that we're getting mm-hmm. in this season of Clone Wars and kind of seeing different sides of it. Because like I said in the in the first part, we have obviously been in the lower levels of Coruscant before, but I feel like often they've been like even in the Ahsoka Leaves episodes when they're meeting with like Asajj Ventress and stuff like that, it's like empty warehouses and like a random <laughs> phone booth. But here seeing, you know, people on the sidewalks, the traffic, the laundromat, guys, the laundromat, like a food court. I don't know. It was just it felt more alive in a way that I don't think we've seen a lot of this part of Coruscant before. And of course, the animation was spectacular. But we start uh, this episode with Ahsoka free falling <laughs> after <laughs> Mike uh, stops working and malfunctions. And I remember sipping my coffee, going, "She's remarkably calm for free falling <laughs> with a bike that isn't working." Just like Anakin, though. Hello. <laughs> no, no, it did. Yeah, it did definitely have Attack of the Clones vibes. But um, yeah, I was like, "Girlfriend, I know you're a Jedi, but aren't you stressed? I'm stressed." <laughs> <laughs> and seeing her like run against the wall and on top of the other speeders and all that. It was it was really funny. And I loved how later in the episode when Rafa asks where Ahsoka comes from, Trace, you know, says, She fell out of the sky. And she does that little hand motion. She's like, No, really, she fell <laughs> right onto our landing platform. But so we end it that way. And then we end, it's not really clear at the ending whether Ahsoka is staying with Trace and Rafa, but she leaves with Trace from the food court. And it, presumably they're going back to fix up, finish fixing up her bike. And I assume that she'll stay with them, but I don't know if that's necessarily her plan at the end of the episode. Yeah, I don't, I didn't get the impression that she was planning on staying with them. I think that she was staying with them as long as she, she had to fix up her bike. And um, I think that it's funny that you bring up the like she fell from the sky thing because I think that that really introduces a level of fate almost into the story that I think is is pretty on the nose and so much so it is being pointed out. But I think Ahsoka really did need this moment um, in time to spend with women, with new characters, with friends outside of the Jedi Order. And I think that this is, it makes sense to me that she would go from like a, honestly, a really overwhelming masculine environment to a feminine environment here. It felt like fate. It felt like it was necessary. It felt like the next step in Ahsoka's own journey. Yeah, you and I were kind of talking about this earlier today about how we don't really see Ahsoka as super feminine. Like, obviously, she's a woman and was a teenager and I guess maybe still is a teenager. Um, And she, of course, had, like, the skirt and tube top situation going on in (laughs) the first couple of seasons. But she was never – like, when you compare her expression of femininity to, like, Rafa and Trace's, you know, Rafa and Trace both wear makeup. They, like, clearly have on lipstick. Um, uh, I noticed Rafa's, but Rafa has nail polish. She, they both have jewelry. Rafa's got this, like, amazing fur coat. Like, clearly mm-hmm. she picked that out and, like, saved money for it, <laughs> you Absolutely. know? And we've, I mean, the Jedi are very practical. They don't have belongings. So we've never really seen Ahsoka in that kind of situation where she could have those 
like that kind of expression of femininity. And so really the women that she interacted most with, you know, one of them was Padme. And Padme, of course, has, you know, like she expresses her femininity with a lot of like lavish clothes and like new fashion and when the animation could give them to her. (laughs) (laughs) But we know that that's like that's a that's a big part of Padme's character, too, is like how she like styles herself. And so seeing Ahsoka, I don't know, it was nice to see her with other women who look and act very differently than what Padme did. Like Padme is very pristine. She's um, she like is more serious because her role calls for it. And she's a politician. So she kind of has to be. Whereas Trace and Rafa are, are kind of they're on a very different place in life and their priorities are very different than what Padme's are. Padme's are very big picture. And we see throughout this episode that Rafa and Trace are like, in a lot of ways, it feels like they're kind of living day to day and it's very different, but they, I don't know. It was like, I kind of want to see Ahsoka with nail polish. <laughs> and I want to see if she, I think she, I think she'll be in this outfit for the, for the rest of the season um, or for this arc. I don't think she'll be, I don't think she'll have a fur coat is what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> I don't know. I, it was really nice to see her with very different kind of women because like I said, most of the women we've seen her with have been politicians or they've been like other Jedi women. and Or like people like Stila who are, yeah battle focused and uh, it's just different it's different when you're on the battlefield versus when you're in the lower levels of course i'm just trying to get by yeah and and also that you have the time to think about those things mm-hmm. because it's not even that maybe ahsoka isn't interested in those kinds of things but like again she probably doesn't get money like she doesn't get paid from the jedi order where is she going to keep that it's not like the most accessorizing i think she had was her padawan braid that was like beads on her um head tails so i don't know it was like having kind of more downtime to even think about wanting those things what is ahsoka like what are ahsoka's interests going to be in this new life that she has i don't know if we'll necessarily see that in these episodes because i think she's going like she's going to be on an adventure so i think she will kind of be more like battle ready but Mm -hmm. i do wonder if in the future different stories could show things that maybe she allows herself to enjoy right i think it's it's also interesting because this while it's a whole new story that we've seen that we haven't like it's not like the bad batch where we had those reels and only like a couple things were changed but with this we had heard hints of it through certain celebrations and Dave Filoni talking about it about Ahsoka's walkabout but these characters were actually first originally supposed to be um, a boy his name was Nix it's interesting to consider if that was going to be a romance angle if that was going to be something that was introduced in in the original story concept and now things are changed. So you wonder if there's going to be a sort of flirtatious aspect to this relationship between um, Trace and Ahsoka or what? I think that there's definite possibility for that happening. And um, especially just by changing those genders, really. Yeah, it was. I remember when we first read about the switch, that was kind of one of the first things that they told us at the Clone Wars panel because we had seen, I think we'd seen like 10 or 15 minutes of the Nyx storyline. And so they had, like the Bad Batch, they had gotten pretty far with it. And so for them to like 
kind of completely redo it with Trace and Rafa. And it's actually been a while since I've watched the Knicks uh, clip from that. But I think it was it was like a battle in the mechanic shop, kind of similar to what we see with Trace uh, here in this episode. But you do have to wonder if they are going to move forward with that kind of flirtation aspect of it, or maybe even a full-on romantic relationship. Um, we know that there was another woman who was interested in Ahsoka in the Ahsoka book. Uh, right. It never came to anything in the book, but it was there. <laughs> and you, it I think there were so many considerations into making this change and I wonder how far they are going to push it or if they're not going to and what does it mean if they do? What does it mean if they don't? Like, does it count if they don't as representation? Mm. No. (laughs) No. Um, But then it's like, I don't know. You just, I think it, it is an interesting switch and it's like, this was the switch because they need more like women in the story. Okay, that's great. But then when we have, you know, that Nyx was potentially a romantic interest, and even though that story was never finished, I think a lot of people probably would read that into their relationship. So is it fair to be reading it into this one too? I think, yeah, I think definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that in a lot of ways, I think these characters are. Uh, coded queer but you're so right it's like if it comes to fruition it only really counts as representation if it's comes to fruition and I think that that's it's it's just interesting I I feel like there is a reason though perhaps beyond that for Ahsoka going from like I said before a super like dominantly masculine environment to a feminine environment and seeing what happens to her when she has to get in touch with her feelings, which is something that she was completely denied almost basically completely denied in the Jedi temple. And what does that, ha- what does that mean when she is able to like fully wrestle with those here um, in the lower levels of Coruscant? Yeah. I think, you know, whatever comes out of like Trace and Rafa and, and, you know, I think it's hard with like making the switch for from Nyx to Trace and Rafa. It's like you don't want to put every piece of representation on these two characters that like they have to fulfill it all, like being women, being women of color, being um, queer coded or being actually LGBTQ. Um, It's like you don't want to put all of that on two characters. And I don't think it should ever be like that. But at the same time, it's like. Like you were, I think you said it really well about her, about Ahsoka having room to explore these different feelings. And we saw, we did see some of that with Lux, but she was in a completely different situation. And so Mm -hmm. now that she's out of those um, restrictions or I guess quote unquote guidelines in her life, like even becoming interested in something like nail polish or jewelry, like just having room to explore these different things, whether it's material or emotional or physical, like. I want to see her do that, but I'm also kind of worried that we are kind of constrained by, you know, leading up to the Siege of Mandalore, for example, right. and how that's like a big battle piece, set piece and and act. So it's not like that's going to take up a lot of time. And I think that obviously I want to see that story, but I also want to see these quieter moments of Ahsoka like just figuring out what she wants, whether that is a romantic relationship, whether that's, you know, her own ship in the stars or whether it's something completely different. Um, I hope that she gets room to explore any and all of those things. Totally. I'm excited to see it. I think that 
I don't think this is the last, obviously, I really don't think this is going to be the last episode we see with Trace and Rafa. I think that the next episode and maybe the one after that includes her, but um, I think it's definitely the next one that might be our final time to see these two. Oh, you think it's only the two episodes? I don't know. I mean, I am trying to remember what happens in the trailer (laughs) and i'm wondering if what we see a lot of ahsoka is actually just like those last three episodes versus or last four episodes i don't know how long this arc is i Um, i thought that they're all it's three four episode arcs yeah but i think that i think that by the i think maybe the last episode of this like set so episode five six seven (laughs) episode eight and maybe even episode seven are kind of bleeding into the siege of mandalore arc i don't think it'll be quite as definite a break like we had with Mm -hmm. bad batch but i guess i kind of thought that we would see them throughout the whole four episodes but maybe not i don't know the fact that she was like i'm out of (laughs) here at the end makes me (laughs) makes me think opposite but who knows she is going to, I think, in the future, we see her, like, fully protecting these two. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely more there. I'm not saying that. Yeah. But I, it's just, like, how much more? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I definitely think they'll be center stage in the next episode. And I hope in the next two, too, because I really like them. I like the kind of the realism that they present for Ahsoka. And mm-hmm. I think she's I think she's starting to see a lot of important – like, she's op- having her eyes opened to what's going on down here that she wasn't really privy to when she was, right. you know, quote unquote top side. And this, this that was like my favorite part of this whole yeah. episode, I think, is this idea that the people down below in this segment of Coruscant feel like the Jedi have completely forgotten about them. Yeah. I think it's just it's such an interesting conversation that they have. Um, and I think that it's one that we talk a lot about in regards to the second trilogy era of like how the Jedi are talked about, how they're forgotten, how people in the galaxy know them. And we always hear people, no matter what time frame we're in, talking about, oh, I used to hear stories of the Jedi. And sometimes those stories are like in the past, like in the sequel trilogy era, or sometimes it's people like Trace, Trace and Rafa hearing stories about them in the present and then being met with the reality of who they are is very different. Um, totally. Like there's this conversation between Trace and Ahsoka where they're talking um, – where Trace is kind of talking about the realities of living in the lower levels. And or um, she tells Ahsoka that Ahsoka is better off down here rather than topside, even though that's where, you know, quote, the air is clear. And Ahsoka goes, well, why is that? <laughs> and Trace says, the Jedi running around, starting wars, policing everything. And Ahsoka says, the Jedi didn't start the war. They're trying to stop it. And Trace says, sure, sure, they are. It doesn't matter anyway. They've forgotten all about us. And Ahsoka asks, what do you mean? And Trace says, just when you're a kid, you hear stories. I guess they're not what I thought they'd be. It's not safe down here or anywhere in Coruscant. That's why I got my ship so I can make a living in the stars. Just me and my sister Rafa. We'll get away from the Jedi, this war, all of it. It's it's like I feel like this is kind of what George was getting at with like the entire second trilogy, right? <laughs> that the Jedi are not who you think you are. And everyone had this idea of this great Clone Wars, you know, that Obi-Wan kind of wistfully remembers in A New Hope. And I mean, we, we talk about this all the time, but this is when the Jedi fall. This is their demise. So they're not this great Jedi old. And I, you know, I really hope that when we get into the High Republic, 
um, era from Project Luminous that we'll hear more about what the actual High Republic era of the Jedi looked like, but it's certainly not right now. And Mm -hmm. I think Ahsoka Ahsoka doesn't realize that she's living in that time of the Jedi demise. How could she? But hearing it from someone like Trace, who's been on Coruscant where the Jedi Temple is and how she thinks of them, it's a good conversation that they have. Totally. And I think that this this conversation really speaks to Ahsoka's own mindset where, yes, she has walked away from the Jedi Order, but during that last paragraph where she says, just when I was a kid, you hear stories, I guess they're not what I thought they'd be. It's not safe down here. And during that moment, Ahsoka almost interrupts her and is about to defend the Jedi until she realizes in a split second, you can see it's perfectly animated on Ahsoka's face. You can see how she was like, wait, I actually agree with this because I just experienced this myself. You know, Mm -hmm. the Jedi aren't who I thought they'd be. And I was outcast and I wasn't believed. Only one person believed me or two people, I guess, with Padme and Anakin. And I think that it's it's just it, it really does speak to almost Ahsoka's like fight or flight mentality. I think inside of her, she's been so ingrained in the Jedi. She's lived there for most of her life and she holds her time there I think still fondly almost to the point where she mentions and we'll talk about this later because the line is perfect where she says my older brother taught me Mm. I think that she thinks in that moment which was like oh my god (laughs) um I think that she she thinks you know she thinks of Anakin as family and I think that we've always thought that but you think about family as fond you know and uh you think of family with love and I'm sure she looks upon those memories of learning with Anakin um with such uh with such affection um unlike how she thinks about or probably thinks about the Jedi order as a whole even though Anakin is part of that and i think that it's it's this stark realization to her that um people might not like i don't know it's like the glass almost shattering for her um yeah. of of this this outside world doesn't necessarily think of the Jedi in their ivory tower literally their ivory tower mhm as the great protectors of old when they're not anymore. And this idea of the lower levels being forgotten, I think this is something that I really want to talk about because one, I think it's interesting that the level is 1313, which to me is an unlucky number, two unlucky numbers together. And the, this choice in in the numbers, I think that all, all of these, when Star Wars chooses a number and they say it out loud, it's like you're supposed to think about why it's significant, whether it's an Easter egg or not. And I think this one, because sometimes it's just, you know, 1138 or whatever, mm-hmm. um, uh, 2187, all these things, right? And I think that with 1313, the immediate association is it's just really unlucky. And I think ah- Ahsoka in some way is just really unlucky. And I I feel like, this concept of the Jedi forgot forgetting about the people down below. It's like before the war, was there a relationship really between protecting Coruscant? Was there this like symbiotic relationship of the Jedi patrolling and caring about um, who was below? Because it doesn't really seem like that's ever a concept now. Now they're, you know, glad handling with the Senate um, who live in the highest of the high in terms of apartments. Like we've all seen Padme's apartment. It's, all the way at the top and Padme is a person of privilege it's no no denying it and yes how she uses that privilege is different but I think that they're this the people of the senate are out of touch in a way and I think that it is interesting that now the Jedi are at that level especially it makes me rethink a lot of conversations that Obi-Wan has ever had with like Dex who is 
Dex's diners in the lower levels of Coruscant as well. And it makes me think, you know, are they friends from an older age? And perhaps this was answered for me in the Master and Apprentice book, and I just am forgetting. I'm sorry. But are they friends from an older age when the Jedi would spend a lot of time down there? You know, I always assumed in Attack of the Clones that Obi-Wan just went there to kind of escape um, before the war. But that doesn't necessarily have to be that way. I think that there could be that, but also, you know, the Jedi were perhaps stationed down there. Like, who knows? And even just this idea of when Obi-Wan and Anakin go into the bar and attack the clones and everyone kind of looks at them like, what are you doing down here? You know, mm-hmm. when they walk in they're they kind of they look him up and down like he is definitely like Anakin, which I think makes sense to you and I because we're like, yeah, he's like a young hot Jedi but I think that it's it's (laughs) you know what I mean though like it's but at the same time that works in like oh look it's that young young hot Jedi Jedi. Anakin Skywalker but but, like it works in universe though because he is a like a young like clean looking Jedi in these this like rough part of the lower levels and he's like he is to use the phrase that you used at the top of the show a fish out of water and why are these these jedi fish out of water in this area that is this planet is their home and yet they never experience or ever like sink to their own level you know it's weird it's odd yeah that's a really good point about how this is their this is where they live and presumably where the Jedi Temple has been for a very long time, but they stand out and it's odd that they're there. Yeah. And I think that we see that throughout other Clone Wars episodes. I mean, you you mentioned it. It's not the first time, obviously, we've seen the lower levels or anything. I think that any time that Star Wars ever wants to introduce anything sinister, it's always like in a back alley in the lower levels, of Coruscant. It's something I've loved. Um, it's a very on-the-nose metaphor for class on Coruscant. But I think that it is... It's just interesting to think that uh, characters like Trace and Rafa would have thought of the Jedi as protectors of this area, but now that protection is not. And they don't find them to be particularly useful for their own issues. It really brings about a lot of thoughts of, you know, the way that, I don't know, like like a police state almost like what is the role of the Jedi? It really makes you stop and think about it, you know? Yeah. I think it's, it's like with any kind of conversation, honestly, with politics, especially with, you know, everything that's going on in the world right now, it's like mm-hmm. such politicians are trying to do such big picture things and giving a lot of guidelines and recommendations, but what's happening for people on the day to day, it doesn't feel like as much care is being given for someone on the day-to-day struggles that they're facing. And I think that that's a lot of what Trace and Rafa are hinting at. It's like, I don't need the Jedi up there to tell me up on the top side to tell me like the war is going great. I need them to help me figure out like to not have pins you come and shake me down for money. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's they're not concerned with what's going on up there. What's happening with on Skako Minor could care less. They don't want to see the Octoptaruses. But <laughs> they it's like it's it's just a wake up call. And I think 
I can very easily imagine a situation, you know, Trace and Rafa are, are very young. Who knows what their family, like their parents were like, you know, if they had parents, whatever, there's a ton of options for that or possibilities. But if they're in, you know, maybe they haven't lived this charmed life at any point in their lifetime. And, you know, it's almost like a bedtime story being like, oh, well, up there, it's the Jedi. And like, they're going to, they're like looking out for us and they're helping us and everything like that. And then you grow up and you see the reality that all they're doing is running off to other planets, starting wars and fighting people and nothing is changing for me here and good things aren't happening for all those other places too so what's the point they're they're not doing what i thought they were supposed to do Mm. so much you know what they say (laughs) star wars is tragedy star wars tragedy (laughs) we talk about a really fun thing in this episode which is the laundromat (laughs) the laundromat (laughs) i don't know why but the laundromat just tickles me so much <laughs> i remember people in the galaxy far far away have clothes that need washing too yes but you just don't think about it because they in clone wars they don't change clothes very often. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, when we first went in there i didn't realize that we were in a laundromat at first like when she just i thought it was i thought it was like a storage thing like a storage center and she was going and Rafa's going through the different storage cubbies when really I think those are supposed to be dryers <laughs> and then there's a shot where I guess the washers are behind her and I was like huh that's so funny that kind of looks like a washer <laughs> like a washing machine and then the camera pans a little bit and you see like the blue sweater <laughs> it's like all sparkly clean <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, we're in a laundromat right now. And it even has the chairs, like, in a laundromat. It's amazing. Yeah. I'm I'm obsessed with the Coruscant laundromat. I think it's just a glimpse into the mundane in Star yeah. Wars that we often don't get. We have really fantastical elements, but I think there is something that's kind of – maybe we've lost it in recent Star Wars, but, like, the – the Star Wars of old, like in the original trilogy, really did kind of focus on these environments that are fantastical but really are real. Like, you know, you even think about the homestead and mm-hmm. with like the small kitchen and the blue milk and the Vitamix and all these things, you know. <laughs> and I think that, that those are the small pleasures. And I I think that it's it, – I don't know, seeing this, it really kind of takes you back to – it really does help like world build the word world building kind of is cringy but it really does make this feel like a real place because we all have our laundromats right i take my clothes to the laundromat all the time and i think that it's it really does help connect to this this world that is so fantastical Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is just great and that was something that the second trilogy did well, especially in Attack of the Clones when we got to see kind of some of these lower levels like Dex's diner, the fact that it's a diner and the waitress has, you know, like a New Jersey accent. <laughs> it, just, <laughs> it all works really well. And seeing the laundromat here was, I don't know, it was just, it was quite charming, I think, to see it and to see how it was designed as very recognizable, but then also, you know, it's Star Wars. So it has a certain yeah. feel to it. I also loved how they have the food court at the end of the episode with all the tables outside there's something again very familiar about that and obviously and I don't know I just I liked seeing it it made me really like this this environment that we are in I think I I I really like being here and and even like the um 
what they the vehicles that they were using to chase the the droid around you know it was like a forklift kind of situation yeah it felt very home depot yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i was like i can go rent that for 25.99 an hour um <laughs> and yeah so i i really liked it and there were things like street lamps and their little you know sidewalk uh for them to walk around on and you know railings so they don't fall into the chasm <laughs> it just it felt it it, it felt it felt like the best blend of like lived in, you know, original trilogy Star Wars mixed with, you know, what we get from the second trilogy. So I, re- I, I really love the setting here and I, I hope we spend more time down here. Me too. I really like it. Can we talk a little bit about the droids? Yes. I'm sure anyone ever, some people who are listening to this are like rolling their eyes because I know exactly what I'm going to say. <laughs> but this comment of some are just crosswired from the start. Guys, are they? Are they crosswired from the start? Because that's not what Solo introduced. They, I did you did you react to this in the same way that I did? No, <laughs> <laughs> but I knew when I heard it, I knew you would. So I don't know if that counts. When Trace says there are good people, there are bad people, and then she's uh, oh no, it's not Trace. It's Ahsoka who says some are just crosswired, like this binary load lifter. And there's this whole conversation about how droids are, quote, prone to violence. I think that's true. I think there are people who are prone to violence. But it helped. It really, like, I don't know. I felt like I had an out-of-body experience where I was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Why? How many times am I going to be talking about droid rights in (laughs) our Clone Wars recap? L3 is proud of you. It's just everything changed after Solo, guys. Everything changed. So again, just to mention, this isn't the first time we've seen binary load lifters. We actually saw these in uh, Forces of Destiny, which is like a fun callback, honestly, mm-hmm. of Ahsoka being like, I've seen these droids before, and it's because she saw them in Forces of Destiny. So that was cool. Yeah. But I do think that this idea of these droids being prone to violence, and they for sure are, there's no question about that, is an interesting one. Because I, I can't help but think, is this droid, these three droids, right, you have all three droids that they're creating is this a an extended metaphor for the jedi ahsoka anakin and obi-wan i have i have to think that it kind of is and maybe this is a little off the wall but um actually i don't really think it's that off the wall it seems like it seemed almost when when sequences like this happen in Clone Wars where you have like 10 minutes of a chase sequence of a droid on the run and you have uh, Ahsoka and Trace and Rafa trying to stop it, it makes me think like what's going on. It's almost like this Godzilla problem, right? Mm-hmm. Of the humanization of these, uh, you know, monsters. And I think the same thing is happening here with this droid. And this idea that people who are like people droids who are programmed for violence crosswired will only result in in violence until they're turned off makes me think i think that we can kind of uh talk this through a little bit about whether or not these this this particular droid could be ahsoka potentially harnessing that violent aspect of herself that was raised in the jedi um order and was raised on war and how she can potentially stop it with the help of teamwork and uh this honestly this feminine energy um i really i really do think that that's what this episode was trying to say and i was wondering if you had thought about that at all i hadn't (laughs) (laughs) but i really like where you where you 
took it. Um, I think for me, I saw the droids more as – for me, I found myself thinking a lot – we'll talk about this more in the character section or maybe I guess just here – but about Ahsoka's kind of righteousness in this mm-hmm. episode and how it was symbolic of her needing to – realize that she is not the end-all be-all on what is good and what is bad because she has I mean she she's the one that says like in the whole conversation about the the droids being cross-wired um I think you do like the droid sorry I'm like twisting over my words right now my head is running but like Mm -hmm. the droids being cross-wired yes but they're also like they're wired by someone like someone right, wires machines. them yeah, a certain way. But then like we've learned with L3 and with IG-11, they also develop their own personalities as well if if put in certain environments where I guess they can in a way be left to their own devices or have more autonomy. I don't know. I think it's, it's a really interesting conversation, especially because with like IG-11 and these are minor Mandalorian spoilers or big Mandalorian spoilers if you haven't gotten all the way through season one, just skip ahead a couple minutes, but like IG-11 was completely rewired, but in the end, his foundational programming of termination, if his mission, in order to fulfill his mission, that was still there. Um, Mm -hmm. Because in the first episode, right, he's like, if I can't get to the child, I'll I'll just terminate and blow myself up and blow everything up and I'll be fine. And that was like his foundational programming. But then when he was reprogrammed by Quill... He, he still had that foundation of if I can't protect the child or in order to protect the child, I have to terminate myself and I have to like see that through. And so that was still there. And so this whole conversation of like who's doing the cross wiring, how does that happen? And then even the fact that like they're tracing Ahsoka's conversation further goes on to about people. And Ahsoka says, I still don't understand people. And Trey says, oh, you know, some are good, some are bad and some are cross wired. And does fate crosswire people? Kind of like how you're talking about people being prone to violence. Is it just a twist of fate that accompanies that? It's the ve- it's very much the nature versus nurture conversation and how we end up being who we are. And I think that a lot of this is just is presenting itself in the droids too. And and the fact that like Trace made the comparison to people and droids. I think you're right. Like it is something to think about. For me, mm-hmm. though, kind of going back to my original point like 10 minutes ago, <laughs> was <laughs> I think that I, for me, I think the droids were representative of Ahsoka and like her lesson, what I think is going to be happening in these next couple of episodes is learning that not everything is black and white. The Jedi aren't what she thought they were and they're definitely not what people like Trace thought they were. They're they're what they represent to society is very different than what she thought she was working towards. It's almost like everything that she was working towards was for naught because for as much as she was trying to bring peace to the galaxy in, in the way that she was told to, it wasn't like no one saw, like people like Trace, Trace and Rafa didn't see that. It's like, what have I been doing this whole time? Um, mm-hmm. I really believed in this thing that I was doing. And not only did you not see it, but you don't even believe what you did see. And I thought that this episode, like Ahsoka is very <laughs> – she she tries to take charge in a lot of instances, instances in this episode. And I really loved her argument with Rafa about when she goes, like, why are we even having this discussion? Don't sell the droids back. And Rafa is like, who like who are you again? Like you don't get to have a say here. <laughs> but Ahsoka like immediately steps in in this like leadership position. And to her, it's it's like so easy. It's like 
don't sell them back, they're going to do bad things. And Rafa's like, no, you don't understand the other side of this, is that if I don't sell them back, someone else will build them. And then if I don't sell them back and someone else builds them, then I don't get the money and I can't pay back Pinto, can't pay back Pinto. And for me, the droids were really representative of like, yes, Ahsoka comes from topside and has this greater knowledge of what they're actually capable of. And she could give you the whole backstory of how they were manufactured and on what planet it was and how she won that planet back or lost that planet. Like, she could give you all of that. But she, again, is thinking like super big picture about these things. And it's not that her thought, like her train of thought is bad. Like the droids are bad and they're prone to violence. But she doesn't know what that means individually for Rafa and Trace and how it will really impact their life day to day if they don't sell the droids back. And like how does she give up that control and like that sense of righteousness about it? Right. I think that's such a good point. I also think there's an element of what does the restraining bolt represent too um, with these droids. And if that restraining bolt, if, if I could go back to my original point, I'm not trying to like not let go of this, but no, 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 of, I think it's a good point I, I of, of the, it. of the droid being representative of, of like Ahsoka and perhaps her, her Jedi's, her Jedi journey or like the journey of the Jedi as a whole. Um, this idea that when the restraining bolt is off, that like the vine mentality kind of takes over. And I think that we've seen that with some Jedi, perhaps mostly in that Umbara arc where you see Jedi Master Krell, I think is his name, um, who really, you know, he's he's he is off his rocker, really, of in terms of control and violence. And he lets the clones kind of kill each other. And I think that that is an example of the Jedi going too far when they are unrestrained. I think that that particular Jedi Master, when he was around the other Jedi, was uh, reeled in. And then when he had the opportunity to be cruel, he stepped into it. And I wonder if, you know, if that is the same mentality that can be applied to these, if, if the droid in this does represent the Jedi in their violent nature, because at this point they are violent. They are, it's, it's hard to say, but the Jedi are warmongers in in this whole thing they are an active participant in war and when when they are let loose does violence reign when they don't have a restraining bolt on um what can happen and i think that ahsoka is kind of herself personally is dealing with this question of wow i have this power i have this knowledge i was trained by anakin skywalker what can I do with this? I'm free now. I can I can join the dark side. I can be a Jedi on my own. I can start my own group of Force users. I can do whatever I want. And what do I do with that power? Am I crosswired? I think all these questions are kind of going through her brain. And now that she herself is without this restraining bolt, what will happen? Yeah, it's kind of scary when you brought up like, I could start my own group of Force users. <laughs> that, whoa. <laughs> like, I, I think that kind of, I don't think Ahsoka would want to do that, but it does bring up the question of like, are people looking for her? Is there, like what happens when you're a powerful Force user and then you're just let loose into society? And- it's crazy. It's it's a question that I don't think we've even talked about, you know, of one that has even been discussed. I think that we talk all the time about how Anakin probably wanted to leave the Jedi Order, but what would that even have even looked like? And what sort of questions would he have been wrestling with as the most powerful Force user? Mm-hmm. Here you have his apprentice who is 
you know, very powerful in her own right, so strong. And she demonstrates that in this episode, right? Um, What does it mean for her to now be without that part of her life that was her life for so long? It's all she's ever known. And what step does she take next? Are the Jedi worried that she's just out there? Are the Republic worried that she's just out there? I'm sure the Republic is worried. Yeah, I think these are the questions that can be answered when they kind of make that call for her later. And maybe they're worried about that. And that's why they need to reel her in in some way. You know, who knows? They're tracking her. I don't know. It's a really (laughs) interesting question. Are you ready to talk about characters? I think so. The Jedi Order is your life. You can't just throw it away like this. Ahsoka, you are making a mistake. Maybe. But I have to sort this out on my own. Without the Council. And without you. All right. So welcome to part three, where I feel like we've talked a little bit about some of these things. But let's start off with Ahsoka. And let's just get our uh, angsty sadness out of the way first. And talk about the line, my brother taught me. (laughs) Let's talk about it. I don't think I really even need to say anything about it. I'm just going to say it over and over again. My brother taught me. My brother taught me. (laughs) (laughs) Caitlin you and I had a conversation in Seattle where I was like awake in the middle of the night and I was like Caitlin did did I or was I asleep (laughs) you probably were asleep (laughs) I was like Caitlin do you think that Anakin thinks of Ahsoka as a daughter or more of a sister and do you think that Ahsoka thinks of Anakin more as a father or a brother and I was like how do you think that Dave Filoni thinks about their relationship and can it be both and I think that's an interesting question given this point i don't think she said she didn't say my father taught me she says my brother taught me and for me breaks my heart because i think any iteration of this line would probably break my heart Mm -hmm. but this idea of brotherhood and companionship with anakin is so much but i do think that it in in this like not master and apprentice role I think that the it's easy to define their relationship as brother and sister, but perhaps with the master and apprentice role, it really was, as you always say, a more of a father-daughter relationship. Yeah, I think I've kind of always seen it as both. I think that in their like in their actual relationship, it's definitely more brother sister. But I think that when you look at the like when I look at it with the big picture of like Anakin's character, Ahsoka does represent like everything that he could have been and in a and like part of that is being a father figure in someone's life and so I think there's that aspect to it but I think like more than anything it is brother sister I also like you sent me this uh fan art earlier this week and I wish I could remember who it was from but basically it it was like a fan art of like a little comic of Ahsoka and Anakin like doing something and Ahsoka was like well how old even are you and Anakin was like I'm 21 and Ahsoka was like whoa (laughs) because like they're actually not that far apart in age (laughs) I don't think I'd ever really thought about that before (laughs) and (laughs) I don't know why I think I just always thought of Anakin as like a lot older than he actually is (laughs) but they're actually not that far apart in age so at least certainly not like father daughter far apart in age um but yeah i think this line it was just it's like part you're right it is so telling of like how ahsoka sees them but also in her need to like conceal where she's from too like oh my jedi master taught me (laughs) 
<laughs> or the Jedi that I knew taught me. <laughs> but to say brother, I think really speaks volumes of how she does see him. And again, like the conversation of like Ahsoka, like Ahsoka's complicated feelings with the Jedi Order of being really hurt and perhaps even resentful of how they handled the situation at the end of season five and having a lot of um, not positive feelings about the organization as a whole right now, but still being, like you said earlier, having a lot of affection and fondness and care and like love for Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme because they are very important people to her and like everything she does like the end of that the end of the arc where um ahsoka is manhunted on that island right and mm-hmm. anakin get like they finally get back and like ahsoka's the one that rescued them and all those other padawans and anakin it's like a fantastic scene and anakin is like i'm so sorry i couldn't like get to you sooner or something like that and ahsoka says no it's because of everything you taught me it's because of your training that I was able to survive. And not only I survived, but I helped others to survive too. And that's because of what you taught me. And it's like this great moment. And she like says, thank you, master. And he says like, you're welcome, my apprentice. And it's like so cute because they don't usually call each other master and apprentice. <laughs> and there's like that that like respect that goes into that that they don't often show day to day. And I think that this is like a version of that too. And just showing that like she's still – like it still hurts and she's definitely quite wistful when she says it too it's like she misses them Mm -hmm. yeah i think that i'm interested in seeing a moment of missing that aspect of family that she had before in the next episode perhaps i think that i wonder if she still feels like they left her or I know that her complicated emotions towards Anakin are probably persistent right now of Anakin and her being kindred spirits and understanding each other and Anakin being really disappointed that she left and left him. And I think that her, I'm really, really interested in seeing her kind of deal with those. And I wonder if Dave Filoni might do something sort of surprising with those emotions that I wouldn't have thought about. Um, I think that there's room for I don't think Ahsoka would ever not necessarily be mad at the Jedi for I just don't think that's who she is. I think that she's like angry at her situation, but I don't think that she's angry individually as people like Anakin and Obi-Wan and Padme, like you said. Mm-hmm. I think that she's more like I said, like the whole it goes all goes back to this like 1313 thing where I think Ahsoka's just really unlucky. From that arc and forward, she was just super unlucky. And I think that if if anything, I want to see her, and I think we do see a, a bit of that. I'm not saying that, but I want to see her wrestle with those emotions and those conflicting like anger, frustration, and like if she can identify that as anger. And I wonder if she, at this point, when she's not a Jedi anymore, if she can lean into that and not think that that's necessarily bad. And what happens when she kind of consumes the shadow? a little bit about that sort of emotion. I'm really interested in seeing that because, you know, later in Rebels, she does define herself as I'm no Jedi. But what does that really mean? You know, I think that there's there's a lot of room to explore that. How is she different from the Jedi despite having the force and being trained in it? I think that there's we can in that scene it's so powerful because we understand that she is no Jedi, that she it was she walked away, that she you know, there's numerous reasons why she's no Jedi, but I want to see that be is so explored, you know? 
Yeah. How do you take the lessons that you learned as a Jedi and incorporated it into a new life, like you said, without a quote-unquote restraining bolt? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it reminds me of that episode in early Clone Wars where she has that – it's it's in the Holocron heist uh, whole arc that is really great. And Ahsoka makes this mistake early on and then it costs her like a lot of men or whatever. And then Anakin goes to like make the, make this – and Anakin has this whole conversation with her about, you know, you have to learn patience, young one. Be patient. Yada, yada, yada. They do that whole thing. And then Anakin makes this really rash decision. And we see this emotional outburst from Ahsoka where she goes, patience. She like yells it at him. <laughs> And he goes, patience, master. <laughs> he says it really quietly. <laughs> but like, like a lot of those like outbursts were kind of trained out of her. I, a lot of like Ahsoka's growth is seeing her make more rational decision making as mm-hmm. she gets older, and that is of course a good thing for any adult, Jedi or not. <laughs> and but. Like, like we've kind of been talking about this whole episode is just Ahsoka having space to be more emotional about things, to think about what she wants at the end of the day, and having room to, I don't know, like explore this place where there are food courts and laundromats. <laughs> and <laughs> what, does, like, what does her life look like down there? Or where does she even want to go? There's this great scene that I also cried at <laughs> where she's standing on the edge of the platform of Trace's shop or landing platform and she's watching this big freighter kind of rise all the way to the upper levels of Coruscant topside and she just looks so sad and she looks I think she looks really lost and she can't be on that ship but even if she was where is she going like what is she trying to do and I don't think she knows right now and I hope that she I don't know I just hope she has space to to figure out who she wants to be yeah I think a lot about that quote that Padme says to Anakin after he killed all the Tuscans. Um, Padme right. says to be angry, <laughs> that casual moment. <laughs> um, be, I think if Padme says to be angry is to be human. And she's like kind of stroking Anakin and kind of calming him down, right? And Anakin goes, but I'm a Jedi. I'm better than this. And I, that, that line always sticks with me because I think in a way Padme is right. But Jedi are often told to deny their anger and of course the circumstances that he just killed hundreds of people but I think that (laughs) which is like it's hard for me to say with a straight face I'm sorry it's just so terrible and I think that it's still a moment though of recognition that the Jedi have denied an outlet for emotions to the point where it gets so bad that something like this could happen Mm -hmm. and I wonder what it, will it look like now that Anakin, uh, Anakin, that Ahsoka is able to explore these emotions that were so denied from her before? Is she able to explore this idea that, you know, to be angry is to be human? She's not defined as a Jedi anymore. What is it? What does it look like to love? To you know, have full on compassion? To be angry? To be selfish? To be selfless? Like all these things all at once is what makes someone human. And it's all about the balance of these, right? But with with the Jedi, it's often so much focused on only some of them, like pick and choose, cherry pick, and only those are good and everything else needs to be suppressed, concealed, forgotten until it boils up to the surface. 
And now Ahsoka has this room, like you say, in the, there's so many great quiet moments in this episode. And I know that we're going to get more from her just soaring in, in the, in the, um, on, on the bicycle to her staring off into the distance and watching that ship go. It's, it's a great moment. You're so right. But what does it look like when Ahsoka is able to explore these emotions without the the title of Jedi Master, Jedi Padawan, Jedi Knight, any of these things that while seem like they could be uplifting, perhaps aren't because they deny emotions. And what, is, what does Ahsoka feel when she realizes uh, what she has been denied for so long? Yeah, what I keep thinking about as you were talking is the fact that in Rebels, when we see her though, she is still – Like, she acts very much like a Jedi, even though she's not. Mm -hmm. She kind of takes the best characteristics of them. And she is – we don't really see her being super emotional in Rebels or being ruled by her emotions, I should say. She – the most we get that – we get of that is when she realizes who Vader is. And that is – like, she collapses from how overwhelming that is and and when she hugs Rex and stuff. But even then, it's like – she's, like – Kanan and Ezra and the whole ghost team like look to her to make decisions and to know what to do and in a way to make the final calls on things and I always think about that conversation she has with Ezra in Rebels when she shows the training video of Anakin you know and she is like very she's very calm in the whole thing and like they're all kind of looking to her as this leader and she Like she is – I think Dave has talked about this too about Ahsoka kind of embodying the best characteristics of the Jedi. And so is there kind of trial and error here in this time period? Does she – I don't know. It's like I want her – I want her – because I love her so much, I want her to have (laughs) this like fully experienced life of – you know, of being angry at her situation. I'm like this – I'm angry for you, Ahsoka. This is so unfair what's happened. Exactly. And you, you've been a cog in this machine and you've been so good at it and you've been such a bright spot in it. And then to have them betray you like this, like be angry. Like you said, to be angry is to be human. But Ahsoka knows that that's not, that's, that's not going to change anything. But sometimes it's really cathartic to lean into those, you know, darker tendencies and emotions and you can lean into them without succumbing to them. And, you know, you have to as well. You can't just push them down. And I think the Ahsoka that we're presented with in Rebels kind of makes you think that she is like balanced. Like, I don't know. I think we're perhaps supposed to see her that way, but we haven't really seen her wrestle with those darker sides of her. We've seen her as like a very young teenager wrestling with just the petulance of being a very young teenager, (laughs) but actually dealing with her, like you said, like her shadow self, the darker sides of her is, is her feelings towards the Jedi. Do those become anger? What happens after order 66? Um, Is there anger there? Is there like complete, like depression, like what happens? I don't know. I want her to have the full range of emotions that come with, like you said, not having a restraining bolt. And I don't know if we'll get time to have all of that, but I hope we do see some of it and that that means that there'll be room for some more of those stories to be told. Because I think she's in a very kind of, like I said, almost like a very balanced place in Rebels. But balance doesn't mean 
that like your shadow self is gone. It just means mm-hmm. that you've reconciled with it and that you like you acknowledge it because that's the yep. only way you can actually be balanced. It's um a lot. <laughs> yeah, and and that's the thing. It's like I don't want to put so much pressure on these like seven episodes to like fulfill every single thing I want out of Ahsoka's story. And they, they, won't. they, they won't. Yeah, they won't either. But I hope, like I said, I hope there are pieces of it because I think if she is, as Dave has said, in a walkabout, that walkabout is not just about like walking about and, you know, kicking some butt every once in a while. There also has to be the emotional side of it too, I think. Yeah, a walkabout is internal. It is a mm-hmm. journey with the self. And Sure, we have some great new characters in Trace and Rafa, and I think, again, I think they're great characters, and I really enjoyed spending time with them, but at the end of the day, if this really is Ahsoka's walkabout, as we are supposed to believe, this is really Ahsoka's journey of self, and her getting in touch with her past, and who she is, and who she's going to be going forward. Please make sure it happens. (laughs) (laughs) It will, it will. It will. I I have faith in it. I know that Dave Filoni loves, you know, it's... it doesn't surprise me that he wrote half of this episode. You know, I think that it's uh, Ahsoka is Dave's baby. And I think that Dave understands the need for um, a journey of the self. He's given it to Anakin and he's going to give it to Ahsoka too. I mean, I think Ahsoka's journey of self is the entire Clone Wars series, of course, but when it's distilled down to these like four episodes, what does that even look like? Is this Ahsoka's Mortis? I think there's some questions there about whether or not it could get trippy like that. I don't know if it's going to, but I think it could. Hope it does. I'm same. same. <laughs> Give me it. <laughs> let's free fall. To be weird. Let's be free weird. fall into the chasm of weird force stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see it. (laughs) Okay, let's talk about Trace because I really liked Trace. The thing, I loved her conversation with Ahsoka at the beginning. I feel like she kind of kept me on my toes as far as her morales, which Mm -hmm. I think is kind of the whole point of this lower level kind of journey. Um, When she offers to take, to like give Ahsoka space on the platform uh, to fix up her bike. And Ahsoka says, wait, why are you helping me? And Trace says, shouldn't I? Seemed like the right thing to do, which I think is so ironic considering like Ahsoka's – like the Jedi, it's always like put others before yourself and Ahsoka is so surprised that Trace would do this. But then the other part of the line that I thought was also really great, so Trace says, shouldn't I? Seem like the right thing to do. And Ahsoka says, okay, thanks. And then Trace says, that's good because I really need the money. And there's like this duality with Trace of, yeah, she's a good person, but – she really needs the money and that we see her kind of like be really desperate for Ahsoka to stay as well. I think because she wants a friend, but then also because, or something more maybe like she wants Ahsoka there, but then also she really needs the money. And we see how, um, how her and Rafa go through a lot just to survive. I think there's this loneliness aspect that I really liked in trace of she doesn't want to, she's alone in that, that warehouse right where and now she has a she's a friend or something more like you say and i i really liked this i liked this idea of no she doesn't want her to leave because she likes her company felt really human i totally get that and i i feel like i agree with you about 
I don't know if it really lessens her good deed of bringing Ahsoka in when she says that, you know, I really need the money. I think that it's, I like this duality of it doesn't actually do, it doesn't actually lessen that, that good deed, you know? Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that it's true. She really does need the money. And this, this, this piece of fate that like fell from the sky is here to help her with that, but also provide her some companionship. Yeah, yeah, it's both. And I like how they function equally in the story because we do see Trace kind of side with Ahsoka later on in the episode as far as what to do with the with the droids. And Trace just kind of I think Trace like she's in the middle between Ahsoka and Rafa and she she tells Rafa, you know, just be smart. You know, don't do anything stupid. And Rafa does what she thinks is smart. It's not what Ahsoka thinks is smart. But Trace has to trust her sister at the end of the day. Like, should she be trusting Ahsoka more than more than Rafa? No. <laughs> but, she, like, Ahsoka saved Trace in the middle of that brawl, in the middle with, with Pintu and his, his people. So, obviously, Ahsoka is a good person to have around. And at the end of the episode... I think Trace like seems up like sad or disappointed that Ahsoka is leaving, but it's still like, all right, let's like, let's go back. Let's fix up your bike kind of thing. Yeah, totally. Okay. So let's also talk about Rafa because I love Rafa. <laughs> I, <laughs> I think she's so cool. I love her fur coat. I hope Same. it's fake. It's probably not though. <laughs> um, but I think like her perspective on the world is so interesting because she is older and has seen more than Trace and I would probably assume that she spent a lot of time trying to protect Trace as much as she can I'm sure there's a lot of things that Rafa is involved in that Trace has no idea about um but I love the argument that Ahsoka and Rafa had at the end when they were deciding, and I already mentioned it, but when they were deciding what to do with the droids. And Ahsoka, right, being super righteous about this thing, is like, why is this even a discussion? We all know. And Rafa says really meanly that you're new here and, like, mm-hmm. shuts the conversation down. And I totally get where Rafa's coming from. She's like, who the F are you? <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I forgot the point when we voted you into our council. <laughs> like- <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know i she's like she's so right like she's she's stuck in this cycle of if we don't build them someone else will i use the money to pay off pinsu like that was the smart thing to do that was what you and i needed and she's like i don't have time or money to care about anything else but myself and my sister trace and i don't know who you are ahsoka but you don't you don't actually get a say here yeah because she's like just met her yeah <laughs> who is she <laughs> It was, uh, yeah, it was really great because I think Rafa was kind of, I thought in the beginning she was really funny when they were in the laundromat. And I love the way she said, you know, like, oh my God, Trace, what happened to your face? And she's, you know, talking about Trace being an associate to fix up the droids and everything like that. You know, she was very much like a salesperson, you know, um, doing whatever she can to get income. And she was... I don't know. I thought she, and like I thought it was funny when she's like checking her data pad and you see all the the Tuka cats run out and her droid goes through and she's like ah! she's like what's going on? Um, it was really funny. I loved that part. I loved that part. I thought it was so funny. Yeah, it was really great. But then seeing this at the end with this like like real kind of anger, um, I think again this is kind of what I think about this being a big wake up call for Ahsoka that. It's like what's most important to Trace and Rafa is not the galaxy at large or even Coruscant at large. It's themselves. 
and they're the only ones that can look out for each other because no one looked out for them. I really liked Rafa because she reminded me kind of of Kira if she didn't inherit Dryden's place. I think that Rafa is just trying to get by in the same way that Kira is. And I think I sense that they've seen both of these characters have had a really, I sense both of them has had a really rough life and they're just trying to get by. And they're kind of both in this like fake it till you make it type vibe. I think Rafa has a lot of experience under her belt, but I still think that she is, uh, you know, making some missteps perhaps. And I don't know, I saw this like strange comparison between her and Kira in a way. I don't know if you saw that too. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially when, you know, we're introduced to Kira in the beginning of, La- of what's that last shot in Solo and then also in the book Most Wanted, you know, living a yeah. lot of their life in the underground, which I think you can visually draw a lot of similarities with mm-hmm. the lower levels of Coruscant. And I think too that in the end of Rafa and Trace's story, similarly to how Kira kind of makes the big decision at the end of Solo to like leave Han there. But that was kind of like for herself, but also for Han. I kind of think we'll see Trace and Rafa and, and maybe even Rafa in particular make like a really big decision that will have kind of this ripple effect. I think it's good to keep in mind how Dave has talked about how each of these arcs is going to inform the last arc or going to inform the series as a whole. Um, and I think that the introduction of these characters cannot be taken lightly, if that makes sense. Um, what they represent to Ahsoka will inform Ahsoka's character choices at the end of the series. And it's always just good to kind of sit back and think about how, you know, someone like uh, Rafa or Trace is going to inform Ahsoka's intentions at the end of the series. And if that, if, if we'll see some sort of reflection, I don't know what the, that will look like, but Perhaps she will learn some sort of like cutthroat tendencies from Trace and Rafa that she uses at the end. Yeah, I think it's everything's kind of up in the air with what they'll do. But yeah, the fact that all of this is supposed to be connecting to the final piece. What what from this episode connects to the final piece? It's that that age old question about, you know, with Rebels, Dave would always say, you know, certain things. There's no such thing as filler. Yeah. And he proved that at the end of Rebels. And it's like, I'm not saying that this episode is filler. I don't think it is at all. But I think that the point being that every single character matters towards the end of a series. And I think that this is going to be like what what matters in this what does it inform to Ahsoka's character? I think that these are questions that we will be able to answer in the next probably two episodes like we've talked about. But I I think that by the end, I wonder if we'll be talking about Trace and Rafa too. I hope so because I like them. Yeah, me too. They're great. I, I think that they're – I think they made a really good choice of changing it from Nyx to Trace and Rafa. They're much more interesting characters. I really like their design, love their hair, love everything. I really love everything about them. Yeah, I, I really like them. I was I liked Nyx in the original animatronic. I thought he was really funny, but I yeah. am loving Trace and Rafa. So RIP uh, Nyx. It was nice to have you as an aunt, like in the in a bad batch type episode, but I mean, Chase and Rafa are where it's at. <laughs> Absolutely, you gotta like, know where they go shopping. Yeah, true. <laughs> seems like just the laundromat, though. Yeah, it literally seems like it's just the laundromat. But she, you know, she's got to get her nails done somewhere too. So let me. Maybe let's... she does them herself. Maybe she's that crafty. Maybe. She definitely goes and gets her nails done, though. (laughs) (laughs) 
Because <laughs> really, this is because I want to see what a nail salon looks like in Coruscant. <laughs> Honestly, same. So maybe we'll see. Like this week, we got a laundromat. Maybe next week, we'll get a nail salon. Who knows? Anything's possible. <laughs> okay. Well, is there anything else we need to cover with this episode of Clone Wars Gone with a Trace? I don't think so. I think that this episode is really great. I'm really excited to be back with Ahsoka. I am missing the Bad Batch, which is so weird. I know. But I, I really am kind of like, I don't know. I'm really happy to be here. I'm not saying that I'm not, but it's weird how I grew. I have this like sense of nostalgia almost for those first four episodes now. Where, where is Wrecker? Is he eating a turkey leg? Is he all right? These are questions <laughs> I have. Is he all right? <laughs> is tech just teching away? <laughs> I don't know (laughs) but yeah no I I know what you mean I do I do miss I do miss those crazy kids too from the Bad Batch but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of Ahsoka's story and who knows maybe they'll make an appearance at the Siege of Mandalore I wouldn't be surprised if they do actually so just putting that out in the universe I would like to see it (laughs) but I think that's going to wrap up this week's episode of Clone Wars we're talking about the episode Gone with a Trace We will be back next weekend, of course, talking about the next episode. But until then, you can find us online. We're at Sky Talkers Pod. We're doing a little fun like challenge throughout the next two weeks. We've got one week left where we're kind of just giving like a daily challenge every day on Twitter just to bring a little bit more Star Wars positivity to your day. My favorite one from this week was hearing everyone's favorites. We asked Twitter what their favorite uh, almost like sidetracks from John Williams were throughout Star Wars. So I really love seeing everyone's answers there. So you can follow us at Skytalkers Pod on Twitter if you're interested in participating in that. We also have our personal handles. As always, mine is Caitlin Flusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We have our website, Instagram, Facebook, email, wherever you want us, you can find us. And if you haven't left us a review, I know a lot of you have extra time on your hands right now. So go and leave us a review if you would like to. It really helps other people find our show and we can make new Star Wars friends. So who doesn't need more Star Wars friends? We need more Star Wars friends. So leave us a review if you haven't already. And if you want more ways to support us, you can also head on over to our Patreon. Absolutely. And I want to say a big thank you to these patrons, Carrie, Casey, Charles, Chastity, Chell, Christian, Claire, Courtney, Daniel, Daniela, Danny, David, Debo, Delaney, Joey, and Jason. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods, the Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.